You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and the ushers will get you one. Um, So, you ever feel like you're the last to know? (laughs) That's where I live. But it's not like somebody else's fault. Like, I'm not blaming somebody. It's my lack of attention. Um, But on Thursday evening, I shared sort of our program for the next uh, couple of weeks here at Calvary since we are having our Christmas Eve services next Sunday off-site. And so I shared that we would be here Thursday evening, and, uh, and then afterwards, the guys came up to me and said, <laughs> they said, we had announced to the children's ministry, and they have no children's ministry team, and on top of that, a large portion of the tech that we use to run our services we take with us over to the high school performing arts in order to run that, and we start set up on Thursday. So this is the new and improved schedule for the next couple of weeks. So we will not be meeting here this Thursday evening. Um, if you want fellowship, a great way to, to find fellowship is to serve. You can talk to the Connect counter um, and they will uh, let you know what the the schedule for setup and getting things ready over at the pack. It starts on Thursday. Then next Sunday morning, we will not be meeting here. Our services are off-site. The Vero Beach High School is just a half mile down the road and we will be using the Performing Arts Center there. Our services will be two o'clock, four o'clock, and six o'clock Next Sunday, we'll be having our Sunday gathering and our celebration of Christmas next week. And then we will not be meeting the following Thursday. We give the staff the week off and we'll be back here December 31st, Sunday morning back in this place. Does that make sense? I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Four of you nodded your head yes. (laughs) This will be a great Bible study. So... That said, let's go ahead and open our Bibles up to John's Gospel, chapter 1, John chapter 1, and our time together is part of a larger series that we've been doing through the month of December that we're referring simply to as Advent. And Advent, it's a term, it means arrival, and it's a term where it carries the idea of celebrating the incarnation or the coming of Christ, the arrival of Christ. And, and within it is the idea of the, the fact that we are celebrating th- that Jesus has come. We're celebrating the birth of Christ. We're, we're, and, but we're also looking forward to the future coming of Christ, where he will come to set up his kingdom. Uh, a friend of mine uses this phrase. It wasn't original to him. But he says, we live in the time between the already and the not yet. And the already is Christ has come. God sent his son into the world. We, we celebrate the birth of Christ, the incarnation, the advent. And the already is the fact that we can be in relationship with God. And we're in relationship w- with God through faith in Christ and the spirit of God and the word of God. 
but we're anticipating that time when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom and makes things right. And so we celebrate together the coming of Christ, both in the fact that he has come, is present, and is coming. And before we get into the text that we're going to study this morning, which is John chapter one. I wanna take you to a verse that, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah's been part of my own personal reading lately, and, and this verse has jumped out at me. And what's happening in the setting in Isaiah is that the, the country, the nation of Judah is somewhat in turmoil. And the turmoil is caused by the fact that many ways, both um, on the ground, the people themselves, and those in power, they're turning from the foundation upon which the nation of Israel was established. It was established upon the law code that had come from God and the relationship that they had with God. And as they were turning from him, there was, there was all sorts of social and cultural conflict and there was threats from outside. And the book of Isaiah is written partly to invite the people, to call the people back into relationship with God. And in the opening chapter, both in chapter one and then again in chapter two, there are these invitations that Isaiah gives to the people. And in Isaiah chapter two at verse five, we read this invitation. We read, O house of Jacob, people of God. He says, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In other words, Isaiah is saying, we want to invite the light of God into our lives. We, we know that we are capable of straying from the path. We sing that one hymn that says, um, talking about the Lord sealing our heart because we're prone to wander. That writer knew, he knows, he knows human nature. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just a problem he was having. It's a problem within the follower of God that we're, we're prone to wander in our view of God and in, and in our values and in our outlook on life and, and so important for us to come and walk in light of the Lord and to allow God to speak into our lives. And really a large um, portion of what we do week to week here at Calvary on Sundays and the Thursdays that we do meet um, is we gather to invite the light of the Lord to speak into our lives. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And we wanna invite God's word to speak into our lives. We wanna invite God's word to invade our thinking. We wanna invite God's word to shape our view of God and others and values and life and purpose. And so Isaiah recognizing the problems that are going on within his own nation invites the people to allow the word of God to speak into their lives. And we're gonna see really that to a large degree that's what's happening here in John chapter one. And so what we're gonna do, there's three parts to our time together. The first part, sort of by way of introduction, we're gonna read through the passage and we're gonna sort of dissect together the passage so that we can understand what its main thoughts are. From that, we're gonna do two things. The main body of our time together is we're going to answer the question as to why it is that people don't receive Christ. And then finally, in the closing part of our time, we're gonna talk about the benefits that are given to those who do receive Christ. So that's our time together. So let's pray 
And we'll jump into the word. Lord, as Isaiah has invited Israel to come walk in the light of the Lord, we want to respond to that invitation. And we want to ask, Lord, that, that, that the light, your word says that it is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. And so we're asking you to speak into our life. We're asking you to illuminate our darkness. We're asking you to speak to us. And Lord, if there's anything that we're thinking or behaving incorrectly, Lord, speak into our lives. We want to be people that bring you pleasure. And so uh, we ask that your word would come alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in verse... 10, what happens here in John chapter 1 is John is introducing Jesus to the world. He calls Jesus the Word. Nate did such a fabulous job helping us to understand that, that idea. The Word is, is um, among other things, it's the expression of the invisible. So if I'm thinking something, you don't know what it is till I say it, right? What I was thinking of is how many red shirts there are in the room? Okay, that's actually what I was thinking. So, okay, but we, thoughts become known through words. God becomes known through the person of Jesus. And then he says that this, this word has come and with the word, the light of God has come into the world. And then last week, they talked about how this light is revealed to the world through the people of God. There was a man named John. And John brought the light of the gospel into the world and we bring the light of the gospel into our world. And then we pick up now in verse 10. And verse 10 begins with a pronoun. The pronoun is used in place of the, the name or the person of Jesus. We read he, Jesus, was in the world. We would call that advent or the incarnation. God became man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Is there a big distinction? Like, like we could, the first part of that verse, we could, that pronoun could, could refer to most of us, right? Like we could, if we used it in, if it was gender neutral or he or she was in the world, we'd say, well, yeah, that's true of me too. But then the next line, and the world was made through him. <laughs> that's not speaking of us, is it? Speaking of the divine nature of Christ, he, God, was in the world, the one who made the world. And then we read, and the world did not know him. So John is, is uh, presenting here a basic problem. Christ has come into the world, and yet there are those in the world that do not know him. Now, he goes on from there in verse 11, and he explains how this happens. He says, he came to his own, and his own did not, what's the verb? Receive him. So why is it that they don't know him? And John says, well, they don't know him because they did not receive him. The idea is that there is an invitation, an offer, and that they did not receive him. We could use, we could, there is a word that has a definition, did not receive. It's the word reject, correct? But John doesn't use that word because it's, it's more than just rejection. There are those who did not receive him because they rejected, but we'll see that there are also those that did not receive him for other reasons. But the idea here is he's saying he's come into the world and yet the world hasn't received him. He goes on in the next verse and he presents the contrast. Verse 12 says, but as many as, what's the verb? 
received him. So he presents this, this, the crisis is, Christ has come into the world and there's people that don't know him. The cause of that crisis is there are people who have not received him. But at the same time, he says, there are many who have received him. And, and really, as John's gospel unfolds, it's really the story of people encountering Jesus, some receiving him and some don't. Jesus talked about the same issue in Matthew chapter five when, when he said, blessed are you when men, or blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, for yours is the kingdom of God. He says, blessed are you when men revile and speak evil of you falsely for my name's sake. He said, because that's how they've treated the prophets that went before you. He says, that's a reality. A person, a person is presented with the truth of Jesus Christ and often what happens is the person that presents Christ to them is mistreated by the person who rejects the invitation. And there's that persecution. A friend of mine, we were on the phone last week and, and he was getting ready to head in to teach his midweek Bible study. And he said, I'm teaching on that passage of scripture when, when David sends a delegation to a neighboring country because the, the father had passed away and the son is now king and he sends this delegation with gifts to basically give his condolences for the passing of the king and also to recognize this new king in power. And the cabinet of this new king says, David's trying to trick you. These are spies. He's trying to get into something. So they take the men that had been this delegation and they shave off half their beards. And then they cut their, their outfits right above, about here. So their buttocks is showing. And they send them back to Israel. And so these guys got to walk through the towns of Israel with half a beard and their rear end showing. They're completely humiliated. Okay? And, and, and this friend of mine says, I'm having a hard time with application for that passage. <laughs> and I said, well, I heard one sermon that that's often what happens when you share the gospel. Right? You present the truth of the gospel to somebody and you get treated as though your, your beard was shaved and your rear end showing. Right? There's just that reality. And Jesus points out, and he says, that's what happens. When someone doesn't receive the message, they'll often become hostile towards the one bringing the message. But then Jesus said this, remember, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness. And then Jesus said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, yeah, there's gonna be those who don't receive. But you know what else? there are gonna be those that do. There are gonna be those that respond. That's what John's pointing out. He's saying, he, the creator of all things, stepped into humanity. He became a man, the incarnation, Christmas, the birth of Christ, the advent. He's arrived. He says, and there are many that didn't receive him. Oh, but those that did. As many as received him, he says, verse 12, take a look. He says, to them was given the right to become the children of God to as many as believe, right? To those that believe in him. And so the word believe is used interchangeably with the word receive. We receive through faith. And then he says, those who believe, he says in verse 13, they are born not of blood, not of the, of the flesh, not of the will of man, 
but of God. If we were to take away all the nots, we would just read this. Those who receive him through faith are born of God. So this text, as you can see, it has to do with Jesus coming, Jesus being rejected, and Jesus being received. So I want to take the bulk of our time and I want to talk about this idea, why is it that people reject Jesus? And this is not exhaustive. I'm sure that we could come up with, with other biblical examples as to why people had rejected Jesus, but I'm going to suggest four to you this morning. Four reasons why people don't receive Jesus. Here's reason number one. They don't like the light. They don't like the light. Now, it's, it's been my experience that there are two different ways that light appears into a place. One, one way is suddenly. Suddenly light can appear into a room. And, you know, I can think back to being in high school and we, you, you walk into the class and it was, it was always a good day when you walked into the classroom and there was a projector in the room. Okay, because you knew, oh good, it's movie day. And so the projector, now the projector was a reel-to-reel projector. You put the film on one arm of the projector and you feed it through the projector itself and then it winds onto a, another canister as it plays through and it makes this noise. And so you have to hear whatever, whatever's happening on this movie, whatever information they're trying to pass into you through this, you have to hear it over the whole time. Now, when it comes to an end, the, the last flap of, or the, the last bit of the film goes through and now it's on the back end and it's just making this noise. As that little flap is hitting until the teacher can get up from their seat, walk, wake up, get up from their seat, walk over and turn off the projector. Now, that, that sound was preparing you for something that you didn't want to happen. And that was that they were gonna then walk over and flick the light on. And suddenly light comes into the room and every person in the room, because we're almost asleep by the monotone voice of whoever it was narrating this, and, and then all of a sudden the light comes on and everyone in the room goes, ah! Because it suddenly bursts onto the scene. But you know, it's been my experience that more commonly light comes gradually into a scene. It actually happens daily. This morning I was, I was up early, I was sitting in the yard and I was watching, I was thinking through the study. So this is thought through. <laughs> this is my best attempt. And so, what, but what's happening is as, as we use the phrase the sun is rising, what's happening is gradually light is coming and things that were, were shouted in the darkness gradually begin to appear and you know, forms begin to show up and, and then details begin to be made known as the light gradually appears on the scene. And what happens is, is that's I think a lot of ways what happens, a person is introduced to Jesus. Sometimes a person is introduced with the gospel message of Jesus and it's like the light bursting into a room. It bursts into a room and there's that realization, I have to make immediate changes in my life if I'm gonna follow Jesus. But in many cases, in fact, I would say in every case, there's a more gradual exposure to light. 
as we accept Christ and we learn certain things about him and then as we start growing in him and the light begins to expose and we wanna be like Isaiah invites us to be, come, O house of Jacob, let's walk in the light of the Lord. Let's invite God's light into our life. But the reality is there are some who push Jesus away because we don't like what the light is revealing. Listen to Jesus, these are his own words. John chapter three, verse 19, we read this. This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men loved what? Darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light and here's why, because their what? Deeds were evil. Says Jesus saying, here's the issue. This passage is, is part of a larger conversation that Jesus is having with a man by the name of Nicodemus. It's that famous statement where Jesus says, God loves the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. In other words, the son of God became man. The incarnation happened. Advent is a reality because Jesus came on a rescue mission. We were perishing. God loved us and came to rescue us. But then Jesus went on to say this. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. He said, the world is already condemned. I came to rescue the world. Here's the problem. There are those who love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And so what will happen often is that a person might make, take an initial, or show an initial interest in Jesus, but as the sun rises, as the light reveals into their life the way of God and the way that they're living, sometimes people will then resist Jesus. There's a vivid illustration of this in Mark's gospel. It's recorded in Mark chapter six, and it, it tells the story of a biblical character named Herod and his relationship with another biblical character named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a man proclaiming the way of Christ. He was preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah. And he was out in the wilderness proclaiming this message and people were coming. And his, his essential message was repent and believe. In other words, turn from the way of life that you're living and turn to God. Believe in him and begin to follow him. And this man, Herod, he was a political leader in the nation. And Herod had an interest in what John was saying. He was drawn to it. He was, he, he, there was something about the truth that John was declaring that Herod was interested in until Herod had a brother. His name was Philip. Philip had a wife. And Herod and Philip's wife had developed a relationship with one another. And over time, Herod's, or Philip's wife left Philip and married Herod. And John called him on it. The light came into Herod's world. And John said, that is not okay. It's not okay with God what you're doing. And Herod, who had been drawn to the light, resisted the light when the light exposed behavior in his life that was unacceptable to God. It reads this way. It's in uh, Mark's gospel. It said, Herod himself uh, laid hold of John, bound him in prison, for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And then it says this, in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter six, verse eight, 17 or 18, it says, 
because John said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. (laughs) He said this, he went, silence John, and because of the position that he was in politically, he was able to arrest John and put him in prison, and it wouldn't be long before he'd have John executed. What's happening? What's happening is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus says, light comes into the world and men love darkness rather than light. There's another famous Bible character. We know him as the rich young ruler because he was rich and young and you guessed it, class, he was a ruler. And this guy had an encounter with Jesus. He was interested, he was drawn to Jesus. And and Jesus has a conversation with him. And at the end of that conversation, Jesus recognizes what it is that's standing between him and following Christ. And he tells him, he says, go sell all that you have, give it away and start following me. And this man, the Bible says, that he went away sad because he had many possessions. That's the end of his story. We don't know what happened from there. But in that particular scene, we have an individual where the light of of Jesus shines into his life. It exposes what God wants him to do, and he resists it because I don't want you telling me that I can't live the way that I'm living. You know, we are, I, I don't think that this is a first century Israel problem. I don't think that, the, that this idea of, of light shining into people's life and people becoming resistant to that, I think it's a human problem. In fact, I think we are facing in our own nation, I think we're facing this, this, this moment in time where there is this conflict uh, arising on is, is there an authority that, that is higher than human authority that can speak into us and put demands on us or not? Is it okay? Our our founding fathers thought it was. Our founding fathers wrote a document when when this nation was established, and this document stated that there are certain truths that are self-evident. In other words, he said, they're saying, you would have to turn your mind off not to see these things as true. And he says, these self-evident truths are that we have been endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. What are they saying? They're saying there is a lawgiver who is higher than human beings and we are subject to the authority of that lawgiver and that lawgiver can speak into our world and tell us what is acceptable and unacceptable. And a lot of the rub that we're facing in our culture today is people wanting to dismiss the authority of God and say that man has the ability to come up with his own determination of what is good and bad or right and wrong. And the Bible would say, oh, absolutely not. There is a God and he shines his light into humanity culturally and individually and he has expectations of us. And we do not want to be those who would resist Christ because the light has shined into our darkness. I wanna invite you to be one like Isaiah who would say, come, O Jacob, let's walk in the light of the Lord. Lord, turn the light on brighter in my life. Don't don't let me live in darkness. Let's move on. The The second reason, biblically, why people didn't receive Christ is that they had a faulty view of God that created unreasonable expectations. Let me say that again. They have a faulty view of God 
that has created unreasonable expectations of God. Let's jump right into a passage. This is Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus is asking the religious leaders a question. He says this, Matthew 22, verse 42, Jesus says, what do you think about the Christ? Let's pause there for a second. This, this term, the Christ or the Messiah. When the Bible opens, the Bible opens introducing us to God and then introducing us to man and then introducing us to the problem of sin and then introducing us to the solution. And that solution, God promises Adam and Eve in the garden, promises that from the seed of the woman, one would come to crush the head of the serpent or to undo the effect of the fall and redeem man back to God. This idea of coming from the seed of a woman is there's coming a day, God says. In Genesis 3, there's coming a day when one will be born on this planet and that one will be later referred to as the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Anointed One. Now, as the pages of the Bible unfold, we find God picking a man from Iraq, from a family of idol worshipers, and he chooses this man, and he says, from your descendants, the Messiah will come. We know him as Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And then they have a child, Isaac, and Isaac has a child named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and from one of those sons, Judah, says it will come from the, the lineage of Judah that the Messiah will come. And later, one of the descendants of Judah would be David, who became Israel's most prominent king. And the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. And so this question, when, when he says, what do you think about Christ? What do you think about the promised Messiah? What do you think about the one who is coming to redeem mankind and restore him back to God? And he asked the question, whose son is he? And they respond and they said, well, he's the son of David. Is that a true statement? The answer is yes, we'll try it again. Is that a true statement? Yes, remember, he comes from the lineage of David. He will be of the son of David, the Messiah. Anyone who would claim to be the Messiah must be able to trace their lineage through King David. He would be a descendant of David. But then Jesus asks a follow-up question. He says, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, your understanding of the Messiah is partially true. Yes, he would be the son of David, but he will be so much more than that. David himself would call him Lord. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools. We're celebrating the incarnation. We're celebrating Christmas. We have that wonderful promise. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the governments shall be upon his shoulder. And he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. Oh, that's so much more than a son of David, isn't it? And so the idea, what happens from here is because they have a faulty view of Jesus... Their view is based upon a few scriptures. They develop unreasonable expectations of Jesus. And their, their, their greatest expectation 
is that Jesus would deal with the cultural problem facing Israel at the time, and that cultural problem was the oppression of Rome. And so the expectation was, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll wield a sword. And what that Messiah will do is he'll drive the Romans out and he'll give us our freedom back. And that was their expectation. And when they met Jesus and they saw Jesus not wielding a sword and they heard Jesus say things like, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And, he, and they, 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 I reject this Messiah because the Messiah that I have is going to do this for me and Jesus is not doing that for me. I wonder if that's a first century Israel problem or if that's a human problem. I wonder if we've, if we've ever seen an individual, maybe it even describes our own life, where we, we have an initial encounter with Jesus and a limited understanding of him and we develop certain expectations and then those expectations aren't met. We're still lonely. We're still sick. We're st we still have problems within our family. There's still struggles that we're facing and, and those things are not being met. And so while we had an initial receptivity of Jesus, we're now starting to push him away because he's not doing for us what we want. And it's, those expectations come out of a limited understanding of who Jesus is. There's a sitcom because I thought that would be a perfect transition <laughs> from that sort of heavy reality to a sitcom. There's a sitcom where there's a character, his name's Mike, and he's lonely. And so he can, he's, he's um, uh, fishing from the, uh, this like not literally, but fishing from some of the other characters to help him find a date. And so one of the other characters in the show reluctantly sets him up on a blind date with a friend. And so they determine a location, they're gonna go to this coffee shop, but they've never seen each other, so there has to be some description. And so, Michael shows up and this, this woman that he's never seen that he's gonna meet described herself, and I can't remember exactly, I'll just make it up. I have dark hair and I'm wearing a blue dress. So Mike walks into the coffee shop, he looks around and he's struck when he sees a beautiful blonde in a red dress. And he says, I give her a 10 for her appearance and a five for her ability to describe herself. <laughs> I mean, what he's saying is, that's who I want her to be. That's not who she is. That's who I want her to be. And so often, as it relates to God, we have this idea like, this is who I want God to be. Well, when God doesn't behave the way we want God to behave, there can be this sense of pushing him away. Jesus told a story. It's one of his most, most famous stories. He told a parable about a sower sowing seed. And he said that that seed was like the word of God and the soil was like the heart of men. And he talked about one particular seed that landed upon stony ground. And listen to what he says. This is in Mark's gospel chapter four. He says that these, these, the seed that lands on the stony ground, he said immediately they receive it with gladness but they have no root in themselves, and so it endures. Uh, go back. There it is. They have no root in themselves. It endures for a time, and afterwards, tribulation and persecution arise, and immediately they stumble. In, in other words, they receive Jesus, but then when challenges come, 
we didn't expect our Jesus to let us have challenges, and so they walked away from him. So people don't receive Jesus sometimes because they don't like light, other times because we develop a faulty expectation because we have a faulty view of God because we've picked a handful of verses rather than letting the Bible describe to us who God actually is. Let me give you a third, they're free. The third reason that people don't receive Jesus is very simply because of unbelief. Unbelief. There's a passage of scripture in Mark's gospel where Mark is describing Jesus' experience in his own hometown. So he came back to Nazareth. Nazareth was a small place. It's estimated that the, the population of Nazareth was between two and 500 people at the time of Jesus. Just a small town, everybody knew everybody. And Jesus went back to his town, Nazareth, and he went into the synagogue and he shared from the synagogue. And they were, they were astonished at the wisdom that Jesus had. But we're told that they also um, pushed him away. And they said things like, like, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? Is, don't we know his brothers and his sister? Didn't we watch him grow up? And so at the close of this little encounter in Mark 6 at verse five, we read this striking statement. He, Jesus, could do no mighty work there. Let's pause on that thought for a minute. He could do no mighty work there. Our text, John chapter one, our text says that he came into the world, but he's the one that made the world, right? The Bible opens this way, in the beginning, God. Incredible, powerful statement, God. Now, it's been said, if you can embrace the first verse of the Bible, you'll have no problem with anything else in the Bible. If there's a God that brought all things into existence, then when we see seas part and walls fall and lame walk and the dead raised, we expect that. We don't expect this. We don't expect God to show up in an area and a verse to read, he could do no mighty works there, except he healed a few sick people. The next verse reads this. He, Jesus, marveled because of their what? Unbelief. The work of God was limited because the people refused to believe. There's another story in John chapter four, it's very well known, where Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well. The encounter happens this way. Jesus is there by the well. This woman walks out at noonday. She's driven by her thirst, her need for water, and as she approaches the well, Jesus speaks to her. He says, will you give me something to drink? She's shocked that a Jewish man would speak to a Samaritan woman. And so she questions him on it. She says, what are you, a Jew, doing speaking to me, a Samaritan? And Jesus says this. He says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And listen to her response. This is John 4. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where are you gonna get living water? Let's parse that a little differently. Let's read it like this. She's got a need, right? Thirst. That need has drawn her to the well. Jesus is promising her something so much bigger than hydration. And she looks at him and she says, sir, you have nothing. You have nothing. 
How are you going to meet my need? What do you have, Jesus? What can I find in here that's going to help me with the real problems I'm facing in life? What can I find in here that's going to, that's going to give me real hope or direction? You don't understand the challenge that I'm facing. You don't understand the difficulty that I'm going, in, I'm going through. Sir, you have nothing. What she's failing to realize is that everything she needs is found in Jesus. It was her unbelief keeping her from receiving Christ. I told you there before, for time's sake, I'll just go through it really quickly. The fourth reason people don't receive Jesus is they haven't yet heard about him. All right, Paul said that writing to the Romans. He said, he said how are people gonna hear if there isn't a preacher? And how are, how's somebody gonna tell them if, they, if they're not sent, if they don't go? And, and then he says, there's that beautiful phrase. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of great joy. That declaration of the message. So we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're heading towards the end. Okay, we have one more thing to cover. We'll cover it quickly because it is important. But listen, in this passage, John is saying the crisis is that the Messiah has come into the world and people aren't receiving him. And some don't receive him because they don't like the light. And others don't receive him because they've created a faulty view of God. And others don't receive him surely from unbelief. Others don't receive him because they haven't heard. But look at verse 12. John says, but as many as do receive him. I wanna suggest to you, but what he says in verse 12 will overshadow everything else that we've talked about. Like if, you, if your issue is as the, as the sun rises and the light comes into your life and it's exposing and you're resisting God, can I tell you that what is true in verse 12 is way greater than any difficulty you might have in casting aside the darkness that you're living in? Here's what he says. As many as received him, to them was given the right to become a child of God. What happens to the one that receives that? I, I'm not sure if I want to receive Jesus. He's not doing for me the things that I want. And John would say, do you know what will happen to you if you receive Jesus? You become a child of God. My wife and I were driving somewhere, and she is, she's an avid listener of podcasts. I haven't quite got there yet. And, uh, and she said, hey, you, you need to listen to this podcast. And so we're driving. She puts it on. And it's this woman, and she's telling her story. And it's her testimony, but she grew up in the Philippines and she grew up in abject poverty. And her poverty was, was caused by the station of life that her family was in, but it was complicated by the fact that her dad was an alcoholic. And so what little they had, he would spend on his drink and he would also bring all sorts of turmoil and chaos into the home. And she described how her and her siblings, they would go to bed. The often only thing they had to eat in the day was like a, maybe a cup of rice. And they went to bed every night with just that agony in their body because their body was craving nutrients that it wasn't getting. And she said there would be days when she'd be, she'd be walking and she'd see a home and that home would be illuminated at, at, inside by the interior light and she'd see people at a table eating a meal and she'd think to herself, why is it that they have food and we have none? She's on the outside looking in. This passage is inviting us in. It's saying you can, you can come in, you can become a child of God, and the Bible says you become an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. All that is his belong to you. 
pause because this is gonna haunt you all day if I don't tell you what happened to the lady in the podcast, okay? Somebody from work invited her dad to church. He gave his life to the Lord. He gave up his alcohol. He began to focus on his, on his family. As God changed him, they raised their station and they grew out of that condition and she went on to have a successful life. So back to our story. My point in it is here's this woman with emptiness looking into the light of a home and wishing she was on the inside. This verse is inviting us in. What happens if you receive Christ? You might have your reasons for rejecting him, but what happens if you receive him? You become a child of God. You are invited into the family of God. The resources of God become your own. And then he says this. He says in verse 13, he says, who are born of God. You see, we become a child of God by being born of God. And that's talking about this internal work that happens when the Spirit of God enters in, into us. It's not simply a reforming of your old life, it's a transforming of who you are to become more like Christ. The last thing I wanna share is I wanna, I, we pointed this out earlier, but I want you to notice, verse 12, he says that we receive Christ by believing in Christ. Do you see that? As many as received him, to them was given the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So we receive Christ and become a child of God and are born of God when we believe. When I first, when I was first introduced to Christianity and first introduced to Bible studies, uh, and I, I remember hearing a story illustrating what it means to believe. Because belief is more biblically than an intellectual assent to something being true. It's an embracing of that truth. And I heard this story about a man by the name of Charles Blondin. And Charles Blondin lived over 100 years ago. And he was, if he lived today, he'd be part of the X Games. X Games back then included things like um, high wire artists. And that was his area of expertise. And so they would, they would uh, string these high wires and he would walk across them and people would come to watch because what could say Sunday afternoon better than watching a guy die? And so people gather together. It's just something about human nature. When somebody's gonna do something stupid, we wanna watch them do it. And the dumber it is, the more people will come and the more we'll pay to watch. And so he would, would string these wires between buildings and walk across them. But there's something else about human nature is that we get bored easily. So if he strings a wire across here and he walks across it, we go, ooh, that's really exciting, that was neat, but what are you gonna do next time? And so it built to ultimately, they strung a wire across Niagara Falls and he was gonna walk across. And the challenge of that was, uh, was um, uh, multiplied by the fact that there's moisture coming up from the falls. And so he's gonna walk across this. Well, what high wire artists will do to help with their balance, they'll have that long pole and it'll extend their balance. Well, Blondin, in order to make it more intense, replaced the bowl with a, or the, the bar with a wheelbarrow. So he's gonna push a wheelbarrow across a high wire over Niagara Falls. Now, people gathered on both sides, not just to watch, but they figured we might as well also make some cash on this, so they began to bet. I don't know what the odds were of him making it or not making it, but there's a story of a man that was there who began to proclaim, Blondin's the best. 
I've seen him. There's no question he's going to make it. And he takes his wallet out and he says, I bet everything that I have that he will make it. And one man standing there in the audience said, if you really believe, put your wallet away and get in his wheelbarrow. I'm relatively certain that the wheelbarrow went across the falls empty, okay? The, the idea, what is, what is true faith? True faith is not just an assent to something being true, but true faith is, 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 a, is a receiving of Jesus Christ and a giving of myself over to him. So what this passage is saying is, is listen, there are those that don't receive him, and you might have reason why you're being hesitant to let the light completely come in to your life. And John would say, but listen, those who receive him by believing in him, those who will be all in, he says, they have the right to become the children of God and they experience regeneration. They experience what it is to be born of God and to be transformed by him. So, so my appeal to you this morning is twofold. Number one, if you have not yet received Jesus Christ, could I invite you to do that this morning? We've got prayer team leaders that are available after the service. Come see them. They'd love to pray with you. If you have individuals that you've been, you've been talking with and in communication with and they have yet to come to Christ, come see the prayer team leaders. Pray on their behalf with them. My, my second appeal would be this, and that is let's be like those that from Isaiah chapter or what Isaiah desires for them to be, where we would say, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Where we would say, Lord, I want your light to shine brighter into my life. And if you're telling me that this thinking is not okay, then I want to change my thinking. And if you're telling me that this attitude is not okay, I want to change my attitude. And if you want to tell me this lifestyle is not okay, then I want to change my lifestyle because I want to experience what it is to be born of God. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Jim Gallagher. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Jim's ministry by visiting www.ccvb.net.